0: Hello everyone and thank you for tuning into the For the Love of Sports podcast. My name is Ian Vissera and I'm your host and today I'm joined by the one and only Erica Eisner. I've known Erica for a couple of years now. I'm very excited to have her on the podcast. It's been a long time coming Been trying to get her on for a little bit. She's a busy person and we'll tell you why in just a few minutes but glad we can finally have her on and Erica how you doing?
1: I'm great Ian. It's so good to finally get on with you. I know we've been trying to do this for a while and you and I worked together a lot at Stonehill, so it's nice to reconnect and work together again, even if it's only for a short podcast.
0: Yeah, that's right. And so as Erica just mentioned there, we'll give you sort of the back of the baseball card on her right now. So Erica and I both went to Stonehill College. She's a couple years older than me. Erica was at Stonehill from 2014 to 2017, where she was a member of the women's lacrosse team over there. Two-year starter her last two years, was a team captain in her senior season, um, definitely helped the lead the Skyhawks to good good heights and definitely some good records over there. And we'll be certain to talk about all of her playing accomplishments with uh, Stonehill Lacrosse in just a little bit. But more recently, what Erica's doing right now is she's going down to school for her master's down at the University of Central Florida. We'll dive into that and everything she's doing down there to try and work her way back into the sports world. And in addition, Erica's done plenty of other cool things. She's also helped work at a World Series. She's worked at a Super Bowl. So she has a lot of experience in the sporting events world in sort of that planning industry as well, certainly has a good passion for sports. And I'm definitely excited to see what she has to share on this podcast.
1: Awesome. I'm excited to dive into it all with you as well, Ian.
0: So Erica, did I hit on everything right there? I think I touched upon everything. So we have Stonehill. We have some of the bigger events that you worked, what you're doing now. Did I miss anything?
1: I think that pretty much covers it. I'll talk a little bit more also about my time working for WB Mason because that's really what sort of launched my career in the sports world, but you touched on it with the world series and all of that. So I think you got it all.
0: Yeah. So now you just need to hit the NBA finals and the Stanley cup finals. I mean, you're two for four right now.
1: Well, you actually, I signed up to work for the NBA G league, uh, which would have happened if COVID was not here. I would have had the opportunity to work there. I would have had some other, Cool opportunities, probably would have gotten actually on the field at the Super Bowl if it weren't for COVID, but I keep reminding myself that I would not be at UCF in this program without COVID, so I'll get there.
0: All right, and so we'll dive right into it. So Erica, you just mentioned you wouldn't be down at UCF um, without COVID, so how did you end up down there? Why did you decide going back to school was right for you, and what have you liked about this program so far? Sort of sell the program to me for a little bit.
1: Well, first of all, for anybody interested in getting a master's in sports business, I highly recommend UCF's DeVos program. But yeah, I graduated, like you said, from Stonehill in 2017. And from there, went on to work my first full-time job at WB Mason, which was right down the road. For those that don't know, it's an office supply company, but they have many sports partnerships and stuff. So I worked on that and the event stuff. But Working pretty heavily with baseball and events directly. COVID obviously took a turn for the worst in both of those industries. Baseball stopped, and events, as we all know, stopped. So therefore, my job as well came to a halt. I was actually furloughed on my 25th birthday. So that was like a true quarter-life crisis for me. Uh, Felt really difficult at the time. It's funny to look back. It's almost been exactly a year now, and. Uh, it turned out to be the biggest blessing for me. So once that happened, I just kind of like looked at the cards that COVID was laying out for everyone. I knew in my heart, I didn't want to go back to work if I wasn't doing something I was really passionate about, which happens to be working in event management and all things sports. So again, like both of those items kind of came to a halt. So I was like, I might as well go back to school and actually learn more about what I'm trying to do. I've always wanted to get a master's degree, so that's always kind of been a goal of mine. I feel like I would have never taken the time to go back to school because I was getting so roped in with work, so it actually worked out really nicely. Um, I'd always been attracted to UCF's sports business management program because my grandmother moved down to Florida, so I've always considered moving down to be closer with her, which I am now, which is really nice because nobody else has been able to visit her due to COVID, so I've been down there with her. And um, yeah, I what I like about UCF's program the most, first of all, you earn two degrees. So you earn your MBA and your master's in sports business management in like a year and a half. Uh, but the program is one of the only programs that was the first program to focus really closely on diversity, ethics, and inclusion within sport and using sport as a platform for change within those areas. So the director of our program, Dr. Richard Lapchick, he's a renowned social activists uh, within the sports industry and has done a lot of really great things with sport. Uh, the Inci- Institute for uh, Diversity, Ethics, and Inclusion. And there's another program called ISSA, which is the Institute for Sport and Social Justice. Those are both uh, launched through a program. So
0: And so, Erica, what did, what have you liked about that program specifically? Obviously, you just mentioned it's heavily concentrated. You're doing a lot right there in a year and a half, two degrees. There's a lot going on. Um, obviously it's probably a different program now than what it used to be and what it will be again in the future but what have been some of the highlights of it for you so far what have been some of your big takeaways from it
1: yeah I feel like you can get your degree wherever you want to get your degree it's really never matters where you go it's all about what you make of it like I truly believe that for undergrad and at the graduate level but I think that the DeVos program offers so many unique opportunities for our students. So every Friday, we have a speaker series where we have somebody that's brought in to speak with us. Typically, it would have been in person, but now it's all virtual, which actually opens the floor up for, you know, speakers from everywhere to come in. So today, uh, just this morning, we had Donna Orender, former commissioner for the WNBA. Uh, We've had a lot of notable people I could go through the list um, and that's just in that one series all of our mm-hmm. classes are also really focused on networking and bringing in people with actual real life experience uh, within sport but then also within uh, again diversity ethics and inclusion so um, I'm not sure if anybody's familiar with Susie Whaley they should be she was the first female president of the PGA and I was actually get able to get her to come in and speak to a golf program that I'm a part of here to talk about kind of being a female in the golf industry and setting that tone as a woman in that field. So there's just a lot of unique opportunities in that sense to really learn from the people that have been pushing the curve themselves within the
0: sports industry. What have been some of the other things that you've really enjoyed um, throughout the program at UCF?
1: Well, one, I love Florida. It's always warm here for the most part. So I, I love that about UCF. It's definitely a nice change. I've been living in the Northeast of my whole life. So that, that's been nice. But um, again, the program also was really attractive to me because it's really focused on community service. And as a former Stonehill alumni, I know that you know that's something we participated a lot at Stonehill and through the orientation program and all of that. So that was really important to me. I feel like service has always been something That's been important in my life and, you know, working in the corporate world and getting, you know, dragged into different work projects. It's really hard to prioritize time for service in your weekly schedule. And so I feel like I kind of got taken away from that part of my life that I, I really love. And we actually typically have a requirement through the program to complete 21 hours of service per semester so that each year doing 42 hours of service which is Jackie Robinson's number. Um, The requirement was lifted this year just because of COVID and um, it being difficult to get places but I still have like a personal commitment to myself to do those hours Um, not just to you know stamp it off on a piece of paper but also because it's something that I want to be comfortable with prioritizing in my schedule as well. So I've uh, gotten the chance to volunteer pretty frequently at a food bank in downtown Orlando. I've met some really great people there that do it full time. Um, The program starts off with us doing a week of service. Typically, they've gone to New Orleans in the past this year with COVID and maybe for future years, we've focused on projects within the local community. So that was how I got to know my class of 21 students. We did a week of service in downtown Orlando, painting houses, working at the food bank, doing all sorts of like local community projects so that has definitely been at the top of my list for reasons why I love the program at UCF and then third I would say are all the professors, Um, so I personally work as a graduate assistant. For Dr. Keith Harrison and uh, work really closely with him. Dr. Lapchick, who is the director of our program, as I mentioned, like for anyone that's listening, doesn't know who Dr. Lapchick is, you definitely should go look up his bio. He's an incredible person and to be able to learn from him and speak with him every week is just, you know, that makes the program worth it in and of itself. Miss um, Ashley Turner is also been somebody that's been really important to me down here she helps place us in different internships and she's the one that actually schedules all of our different guest speakers that we have so she's always kind of looking out for best interest i think across the board the professors that we have and the different directors within our program just make it such a special
0: experience mm-hmm. and erica it certainly seems like that you've gained a lot from this program you know so far even being down there in just so- such a short time uh so far So when you look to go back to, you know, that full-time workforce and you're trying to work your way back into sports and getting into things like that, why do you think you're going to be a better candidate um, whenever that happens to be compared to when you um, initially left that full-time workforce?
1: So I think it's easy to say that you care about certain social issues and mean that, but not necessarily know enough about it. And again, like, I think we've all probably had a class where we've had social responsibility or, you know, diversity has been talked about, but what does that all really mean? I think being in a program where literally every single class that we have talks about that, uh, we had a, like, half-semester class with Dr. Lapchick himself, literally just about ethics in sports, and we talked about different ethical issues happening in the sports environment every single week. Uh, We did like case studies on different topics regarding that. I think having an extensive knowledge in that field, not that it makes me a better candidate on paper than somebody else, but it's something that I would incorporate in my leadership skills going forward that I'm just constantly aware of now. Um, I also think that being a female in general, going into the sports industry and not a knock against males. I've had some really, really great male mentors, a lot of my classmates. Um, I personally have a lot of very influential men in my life, but it's not always the case. And there definitely is a gap for women in the sports industry that we can fill. And I feel like I have this perspective of having really good relationships of men in my life um, that have helped build me up and get me to where I am, but also having different experiences as a female in this environment, um, carrying those with me as a leader so I can look out for other females as they come in, but also help motivate men to be better for women in the sports space as well. So I think just that entire like social agenda is like, it's not just a mentality I have, it's a part of my heart now and who I am as a person and something Mm -hmm. I care a lot about. So.
0: And so what do you think Um, is kind of that biggest gap between you know the men and females in sports right now obviously this is a conversation that could go on for a, a long time and certainly we don't have all the time to get into it but just in your kind of your quick opinion on it what do you think are some of the problems within the field right now for females who are trying to break into the field and then for those who like you said are already in the field what are some things that you think they can do to sort of just you know help help bridge that gap and make sports just a more inclusive place in general
1: Definitely. I think uh, part of it is just that locker room tradition, and it's just a fact. It's not on purpose, but people tend to hire people who remind them of themselves, uh, whether that has to do with race or gender. So, I mean, that's part of the problem. If you look back at the history of the sports industry, it's been dominantly male, so males tend to hire other males. So, that's, that's one thing, but I think one of the hardest things, at least for me personally, I don't want to speak Mm -hmm. for all women in general, but something that's actually become incredibly frustrating for me is not necessarily being taken seriously as a professional. Um, I've had multiple situations where I've had really good connections at different sports teams or um, have met people that are in the industry and wanting to connect further and Typically, it tends to lead to um, an offer to get drinks rather than an offer to connect or relationships that I thought were solely based on my workability were maybe built on other interests um, that I was not interested in. So I think it's really hard to go into a landscape that is dominantly male and never really know how people are viewing you in terms of an applicant or a coworker um and if if they can see you as being their leader like maybe they think of you as a great coworker, but they can't see being led you know take like baseball for example maybe Mm -hmm. somebody wouldn't want to be led by a female who's never played the game of baseball well just because i don't play baseball doesn't mean i don't love the culture of baseball and love being in that environment i just want to make the best experience For everybody going to the game whether they know the sport or not so i don't necessarily think that having the experience of playing the sport matters when i think maybe some of my counterparts do have that opinion Um, i don't really know if that answers your question but i think that every person male female black white hispanic no matter culture race gender um, everybody has their own experience going into a situation and actually Donna Orender, she just said this morning to, um, you know, really reflect on your biases that you have, like we've all grown up in different situations that impact how we see other people. So I think just my one piece of advice would just be to like, take a look at yourself as a leader or coworker and the biases that you have from how you grew up, how you relate to different sport activities and how that might be different from someone else. And
0: that's okay. Yeah, no, that, that certainly answers the question and it's definitely, um, like a long longer answer to it, but I think it definitely helps to highlight all the points that you're making, um, just with all of it in terms of, you know, some of the advice kind of that you've heard and just some of your personal experiences off of that. Um, and it's certainly something, you know, like I was kind of saying earlier that we could dive into, um, a lot, a lot further, but just, I guess one, one follow-up, to that would be, so with some of those experiences, when you're trying to figure out like networking and things like that, when it can sort of lead to other things that, you know, you're not necessarily intending for it to happen, how do you go about handling those situations? How do you figure out like what you need to do to put yourself in the best position? Obviously it's a two-way street and, you know, you need to have the mutual respect with it. And, you know, if you're just trying to make that connection or whatever it happens to be um, just for that, you know. Purely professional basis. But like you were saying, if someone doesn't want to be, whether it's like led by a woman or things like that, how do you just go about trying to put yourself in the best position to succeed despite whatever the circumstances may be?
1: Well, I think in any situation, like outside of gender roles and all of that in general, like I try to lead with kindness. And I might really disagree with somebody and what they have said, but I'm never going to get them to understand my perspective if I'm super combative, it doesn't mean I will be like passive. I've definitely grown in my communication skills and how to be more asserti- assertive and like really not back down on my opinion on an issue if I know it's correct. But doing that kindly and with class, you know, I think you can be persistent about something, but be persistent in a classy way. And like I said, leading with kindness, I think, I don't know. I kind of go about like killing with kindness in my life. So, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in those types of situations where I'm trying to network and that's not the case, you know, I make it very clear and pretty assertive and say like, I'm literally only interested in networking and talking to you about X, Y, and Z. So I'm happy to have the conversation about that in the future. And I kind of leave it off as that, like, Hey, I'm not going to write you off because you've now bothered me with this comment but I want to make it very clear going forward. Like, this is my agenda and like, I'll Mm be as kind as can be when we're talking about that, but also setting boundaries. Um, But yeah, I think leading with kindness is kind of how I go about navigating those situations is also how I would, I picture myself being able to create change wherever I go.
0: Mm -hmm. And so for those who don't know, Erica definitely led with kindness back when she was at Stonehill. When she was the orientation coordinator, um, she helped out all the first year students make their transition back to school. And that's something that Erica at the helm, leading all of the the student leaders with that and all the incoming freshmen definitely did a good job leading with that. So just a little quick plug for Erica there, letting you know that your style and the leading with kindness definitely works and gets gets good results from people.
1: Appreciate that.
0: No problem. So, all right, Erica, so move moving along. Definitely. um, Like we were saying, we could talk about some of those issues in sports for quite some time, but I want to get to some of you know the highlights for you in your career so far and some of the accomplishments that you've had. So first off, I want to talk to you about working at the Super Bowl, working at the World Series. This past year, you were down there in Tampa working at the Super Bowl, which I'm sure was an experience literally like no other Super Bowl before and hopefully like no other Super Bowl in the future. And secondly, you also worked at the World Series, I believe, back in 2018 when it's the Red Sox against the Dodgers. Um, so just what were those two experiences like, what did you do, um, at each location and just how was it, you know, being at some of the biggest moments in sports?
1: So I just feel so blessed with how my like career path has kind of played out, but I am like firm on the fact that timing is everything. So, um, my first position that I was hired for at WB Mason, I was hired to be, a digital brand specialist, which the title really probably meant nothing to what I did. I helped out on a lot of like different projects within the marketing department, but it just so happened that the week that I started um, was the same week that WB Mason had signed their deal with Major League Baseball to be the official office product supplier of the MLB. So they had already sponsored nine club teams, but this was for an MLB sponsorship in and of itself. Mm -hmm. So my direct hiring manager happened to be leading that project. So that was like, just kind of landed in my lap, that opportunity, I didn't do anything special other than like apply and get to work with that manager. Uh, Maybe maybe they knew that was happening and just didn't tell me about it before I started working, but I kind of just got started with that and got to work directly with the MLB partnership team and planning out certain events um which is what got me to the world series so a big part of like sports marketing and branding is the different activations that sponsors get to have at their jewel events so the jewel events for baseball being all-star week the world series uh the playoff game so i went to like an lds game at yankee stadium that was one of the first things i did when i started working which was so cool but the one thing no big deal yeah that was that was that was incredible um but one of the first things that I got to do, so WB does, like, every partner does different branded items with the MLB logo on it, all of that. So WB Mason does little, like, miniature trucks of, like, the big WB truck, and it'll be thousands of trucks that we set up. So it's, like, you know, getting to the game early, finding your um, layout on the concourse, putting up the step and repeat, which is, like, the... Branded uh, like backdrop that would have like WB Mason and MLB on the back of it. Setting up 5,000 trucks, making them look nice, getting it all set up. Because as soon as the gates open for the game, those trucks are going to be on in a second, and you're like running around to restock them. It sounds silly, and like in the moment, it's absolutely chaotic and crazy. But it's unbelievable how happy people are to get anything that's branded with a professional logo of some sort. So like they might not even know about. The company itself but the truck has mlb on it so they want it so that's how i got started was at that game and then um got to do a lot of that work again at the world series so it was the same situation where we we're handing out trucks and then my boss at the time matt rogers shout out uh miss working with you but we he was like oh like let's you know get a bunch of content on social media like can you be an announcer or whatever it was like I I don't know what that means. But sure, I'll come up with something. So we got (laughs) a lot of people thought it was real. But we got like a microphone that did not work. And Mm -hmm. like literally made like a broadcasting box to go around the microphone out of styrofoam and popped it around it and like had a fake cord hanging out of it. Elise, who was my manager who was with me doing all this, she like followed me around with a camera as I was interviewing random fans, uh, going around the Boston Red Sox concourse of the, R- the world series. They thought I was like some serious reporter with a real working microphone. And it was literally just for, you know, our company's social media it ended up being really funny, but it was just like a take this and run with it type of experience. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that was really cool. And then again, timing is everything. I've already explained kind of how I ended up down here in Florida at UCF and, one of my classmates Olivia she's worked uh, at the Super Bowl the past few years with Party Planners West which is the event company that puts on all of the Super Bowl events together so where I worked specifically was um, at the fan experience as an area manager so I was hired for that position that I applied for basically was in charge of managing a certain area at the fan experience which is outside of the stadium. So I didn't actually get to go into the Super Bowl, Mm -hmm. but managing an area and managing the hundreds of volunteers that would come through, um, you know, over the course of the hours throughout the day, managing them to make sure that the activity we were working, which happened to be like a a target throw station for fans, um, making sure they're doing their job, like just kind of overseeing that whole situation. But again, like it just worked out really well that, the Super Bowl happened to be in Tampa, which is about an hour from where I am in Orlando, because um, I wouldn't really have had that opportunity otherwise. So that timing worked out really well. But the one thing I'll say about events in general, which I feel like you don't know until you live through them, is that it definitely looks glamorous. You know, like if you have I know you've seen like my Instagram story of like, oh, I'm at this baseball park today and this one and this week I'm an all-star week or whatever. Like it looks glamorous on the outside, but if you're interested in getting into the event space, like it is far from glamorous. Um, you know, all-star week in Washington, DC, it was about hundred degrees, hundred percent humidity. Um, we had to set up 5,000 trucks within like an hour, which sounds not difficult, but actually really is and then like replacing them as they're getting torn off the table by fans coming through there's a picture of me like from the aftermath of that and I am just like drenched in sweat I have like a towel hanging around my neck just like cool me off because I was so disgusting so like yeah I got to go watch the rest of the home run derby after that and like have a drink but I did not look Instagram worthy. I was like disgusting, <laughs> um, so exhausted. It was such a long day. And then, you know, Super Bowl, too. So, Super Bowl Sunday, um, I was stationed to work outside the stadium, helping check people in, whatever. I got there, and there was actually a tornado watch once I parked in the parking lot. So, I sat in the parking lot at 5 a.m. with torrential downpours, just sitting there waiting for them to call off the tornado watch. Once they did, two hours later, so two hours after sitting in my car when I could have been sleeping at home, uh, they called it off. Then I had to walk through this parking lot that was for staff that was basically like just an old dirt lot. So after two hours of torrential downpour, this parking lot was a it was the Nile River. Like there was <laughs> I like there was nowhere to go. I was with this other. Uh, a friend of mine who was working west we were like trying to navigate this we're, like can we hop the fence over there like i scaled an eight foot fence and then i realized that it was just the same on the other side like i was not escaping the water so i you know just bucked up and went through the foot of water in my nice white adidas sneakers that are now black um got there they didn't really have the assignment that i was supposed to be doing so i ended up driving around in a golf cart putting Trash cans out all morning, so like it was so cool to be right outside Raymond James Stadium. But like that's what I was doing. So for anyone that's mm-hmm. interested in like getting their feet wet, like it's you really did cool get your feet stuff. wet. Oh, I literally got my feet wet. Like it's so cool to have the credential and you know get to be in that environment is just like it's unbelievable. But like it is hard work. It is long hours. Um, Super Bowl, yeah, Saturday and Sunday before the fan experience, I was there at. I was there from like 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. I think I walked like 35,000 steps each day in the heat. Like it's hot. You're tired. You got to like keep a smile on, which is actually easier with the mask because you can just kind of like fake it. Nobody actually knows if you're tired and not smiling and not happy. But yeah, no, it's exhilarating when you're there, but it's also exhausting. So.
0: Oh, I can imagine. And so a couple of things I want to touch upon in there, Erica. So for the people listening, Erica's like five, five feet tall, like maybe, maybe a little bit taller than that. So for her to scale that eight foot fence, shout out to her, because that's that's a bigger <laughs> climb for her than it is for most people. And second of all, we're gonna need to definitely see some photos at some points of uh you back at All Star Week or after the super Bowl. Oh, I have I uh,
1: have the receipts, don't you worry. They're out oh, there perfect. somewhere on the internet.
0: <laughs> and so we've talked about a lot what you've done, um, sort of it sort of on the professional side of things but I want to take it back just a little bit, um, to when you were back at Stonehill back when you were actually an athlete, when you were, you know, the one playing in these stadiums, playing in these uh, big games. So, like I said, at the top of the podcast, Erica was a member of the Stonehill lacrosse team was there for four years, captain in her senior year, Erica, just what was it like to play for Stonehill lacrosse and just what are some of, you know, your best memories, just what was your experience like there?
1: There is not a better experience I've had in my life than playing for Stonehill on the lacrosse team. Um, I think too, like college sports, like unless you have been through the process, you can't really understand like the day-to-day battles that there are, whether it's, you know, fighting with your class schedule to be able to get to a night game or like for me, there was a lot of like mental battles that I had to fight um, just on the field as an athlete and just getting past that and also having to manage all the schoolwork and whatnot. But yeah, it's interesting. Like I wouldn't change anything about my four years, but after my freshman year, like I went in as, you know, the star lacrosse player from my high school as everybody does in a college team and wasn't necessarily prepared for like the journey ahead of me in terms of how hard I was going to have to work. Like I knew I'd have to put the effort in, but I didn't realize like, okay, I'm going to have to, you know, build, X amount of muscle because I'm five, two and a defender and I'm going to be playing against girls that are six feet tall and 50 pounds heavier than me. Like I need to be able to do the job that needs to be done in the field. Like I didn't really realize at the time, like maybe why I wasn't ready to be playing in the games my freshman year. Um, and so that was that was a struggle for me. I definitely had a lot of reflecting to do after my freshman year. I was like pretty upset with how things went just because I wasn't playing in the games as much as I thought I would, and kind of similar to my sophomore year as well. But we had um, a really great senior class my sophomore year. There was about 10 of them, so there wasn't too much room for my class to get on the field with the upperclassmen, and I definitely had a greater appreciation for that when I was a junior and senior, but yeah, my junior year, I just, I just never stopped like working my hardest. So I, I didn't start on scholarship at Stonehill, but by my junior year I was put on athletic scholarship. So like that for me, like meant a lot Cause it's like, all right, all the effort that I'm putting in is, is kind of coming to fruition now and then just play. I mean, we had the best team ever. We had just like an amazing group of girls. I learned the most probably from some of the girls that didn't really see the field. Um, I can think of two in particular from my class who were just amazing people and they didn't see the field as much as others, but they were always the loudest people on the bench cheering everybody else on. And like, that is a type of leadership that I feel like y- you don't forget that. Like, yeah, I, mm-hmm. I, I was the captain and I definitely think I did a good job in leading our team and trying to like keep things organized and make sure everybody was putting the work in and following our coach's instructions and all of that. But I don't think I did as good of a job as other people did, like coming off of the bench and leading the people that like, if I'm on the field, I can't be motivating the people on the bench. And so there were other seniors that took that as their role. And they did a great job. I just think we had like, a really balanced team overall. But yeah, I being a student athlete at Stonehill, I just that's like the best experience ever.
0: Mm-hmm. So. And so you, you mentioned some of those, you know, mental battles that you kind of had to go with, you know, not playing right away to kind of by the end, you know, you're seeing the field and everything like that. But so what does it take for you mentally to sort of get to that point? Because obviously, like you said, you have to physically get there too. you know, coming in as, you know, an 18 year old freshman going up against, you know, some 21, 22 year olds, upperclassmen and things like that. But on the mental side of things, what do you have to do to get yourself ready, Um, whether it's for to prepare yourself not to play, but obviously you have to prepare like you're going to play. How do you just go in, you know, through that battle and especially through those years, right? So like you said, those first couple of years, you weren't playing a ton. Um, how do you stay motivated? How do you keep pushing yourself as an athlete to know eventually that this will hopefully pay off and I'm going to see the field and I'm going to be the best player that I can be, um, and take advantage of that opportunity when I get it.
1: Yeah, I think I definitely struggled with that, like on a day-to-day basis. So you know, I was I wasn't the best on the team. So, I was the one maybe getting yelled at more by coach than other people and I was the one running laps because I dropped the ball and you know that stuff really like pissed me off at the time, but looking back, I know that my coach pushed me as hard as she did because she knew that I was capable of more and that's something that I carry with me today. I'm like, "All right, even when things are hard or I get tough feedback, it's only because like this person knows I could better." be better. Like my coach wouldn't have been that hard on me if she didn't think there was a better outcome that could have been produced. So I wish I had realized that at the time, but yeah, that was one of the biggest things for me was I got so nervous going to practice every day. I I didn't want to be the one that was going to drop the ball. I didn't want to be the one that was going to get yelled at. Like, I just wanted to, you know, be my best. And then I would get in my head, you know, if you go into practice being like, Oh, Mm -hmm. I don't want to get yelled at today. Well, and you're probably not going to play well. You're probably going to get yelled at. Right. And then it's just like a downward spiral effect of just feeling bad on the field. So I kind of so how that did you overcome that? Yeah. So I mean, first of all, I talked to um, Professor Hurley, who's like the the sports psychologist professor at Stony. Shout He's out Dave. Great. Yeah. Shout out Dave. Miss you. He's great. Um, but I also just had to remember that like I'm here to play lacrosse because you know, coach thought I was good enough to be here and play lacrosse, but like also why am I doing this? Like I had to remember the love I had for the game and like, all right, let me just go out there and have a good time. Like, who cares if I get yelled at? Like, I think I, you know, I think this happens to everyone, whether it's in work or in sport, like you get so in your head about wanting to be the best at something or wanting to, you know, produce the best product. But like, if you're not enjoying the process, then what's the point? So yeah, I kind of just went on into practice from then like with this mentality of like I'm just going to do the best I can do and not worry about when I mess up and just like have fun with it because that you know if I, I would go back if I could go back and practice with the team today and just get reamed out for being you know poor performance or whatever like I would in a heartbeat like I miss that mm-hmm. so much and I just miss playing the sport a lot so yeah I just kind of went on with that mentality I think something that was also really important for me Uh, I was part of like an athlete Bible study at Stonehill shout out Carter Smith. Uh, He got me involved in that, but I mean, I'm a, I'm a big person of faith and I believe, you know, everybody kind of has a purpose in their life and just tried to trust like, all right, God's watching out for me. You know, his opinions, the one that that matters the most here. Like if I get yelled at, it's because he wants me to get yelled at today. Like it's just going to make me a better person. So once I started Mm -hmm. really incorporating my faith in sport, which is not something I had really done before, that helped me. I know it's not for everybody, but like that really was pivotal for me as well.
0: Mm-hmm. And so that was going to be my follow-up question, but you just segued right into it. So, I mean, you're a podcast pro at this point, you know, as we're <laughs> sort of wrapping this up. So nicely done there for you, Erica, but that was something I, again, wanted to ask you about. Um, so how beneficial was that for you to do that? Um, when did you join that? Was that earlier on in your collegiate career? Was that a little bit later? And once you did join it, um, you kind of touched upon it a little bit there, which is why was joining that athlete Bible study helpful for you?
1: Yeah, so I joined that my junior year. It was led by Carter himself. It had been around before that. I just hadn't former guest of the podcast. Yes, former guest. And um also someone who you know, Cass Squarey. She's actually one of the ones who got me involved in it as well. So she played softball at Stonehill. Um and yeah, once I started going, I just I never stopped. It was something that was like, all right, here's a community of athletes from every sport. I think we had someone there every Monday night from every single sport, football, volleyball, tennis, track, basketball, lacrosse, field hockey. Like we had somebody there from every team. It was just interesting to, you know, really what we would do was just talk about our hardships from the week in sport and our successes and relate it back to different um, verses and kind of like what that means in the bigger picture. And I think being able to tie lacrosse to like my heart and like who I am as an individual and what my overall purpose in life is. Like at the end of the day, does it matter if I'm the best lacrosse player? No. Like I think my purpose here is to, you know, be kind to others and just help build other people up as well. So like, was I able to do that through lacrosse? Absolutely. Like I was the captain of the team. So my job was literally to build people up every single day. And that is really like, I think, Honing in on my purpose on the field, like I said, is what helped me kind of build my career successfully, my junior and senior year. That's what what Mm -hmm. I really focused on. And I don't think it's a coincidence that I, you know, started tying my faith into sport my junior year. And that's when I also really started to develop as an athlete on the field. So.
0: Mm -hmm. All right, Erica. So there's just one one last point that I want to get to one last question for you, and then we'll wrap this up. So you mentioned seeing the field right there as a junior and as a senior. And obviously as a defender, you know, you're playing way back there. You know, you're trying to stop the goals. You're not trying to score them, but you did have one goal Mm -hmm. in your collegiate career. Just, can you talk to me about how that happened? Um, How'd you end up up there, you know, on the attacks, shooting that in? How'd you get that goal? And just what did it feel like to score that first collegiate goal?
1: This is like my best lacrosse memory of all time. Like I go right back to that night. It was our last home game um at Stonehill it was in our conference tournament we were playing Pace who actually the head coach of Pace was my old club lacrosse coach so it was like extra meaningful for me to beat him and kind of show him you know how I progress as an athlete but yeah we had actually just played Pace the week before too at home for a senior game playing him again for a conference tournament and yeah we you know I one of my strengths was that I'm short but very fast so a lot of the times when we were clearing the ball out from the defense Beach or Bailey Grant she's still there who's our goalie she would tend to look for me or Kara uh, to just be able to run the ball out of the defensive end and then pass it off that way I couldn't get intercepted so that's kind of what happened she gave me the ball and I didn't really see anybody to pass it off to so I just kept running and kept running and then I didn't even mean to truly, but I was like, you yeah, know, I'll just, I guess found my way to goal and ended up getting a foul against me. So I had a free position shot. You line up on the seven meter arc there, get set up for a shot. And our coach had, did this thing where she would, you know, if, if you were taking a free position shot, she'd want you to look at her like thumbs up for go for the shot or thumbs down for just go behind net and set up for a play. Mm-hmm. um I looked her for the thumbs up I don't even know if she was paying attention but I I didn't see a signal apparently she told people on the bench she didn't want me to shoot it I don't know but I was just like <laughs> you know what senior year last home game whatever I'll just go in and shoot the ball as hard as I possibly can which is what I did and I like went nuts when it went in like Taylor Shannon she came running down the field like tackled me it was just like most electric moment in the sports career it was the last game my parents ever saw me play. Cause they weren't able to go to Moyne the following week for our last game where we lost in the conference play. Um, so that was really special for me to be able to do that in front of my parents. And yeah, I guess my coach after was like, she's lucky she made that. So <laughs> yeah, no, that <laughs> so was like a highlight for sure.
0: Did you ever think you'd score a goal? I wanted to, it wasn't
1: yeah. my job to like, I, you know, it'd be pretty rare that I would find myself on that end of the field because in lacrosse right. you have four people that stay behind the restraining line that are not allowed in the attacking play. You know, I had scored a bunch of times in scrimmages and stuff where I maybe like transitioned to a midfield role. I'm mostly stuck, you know, on the deep end of the defense the defense by the goal. But yeah, a few times I found myself in a midfield type position. But no, I mean it was on my list of things I wanted to do, but it wasn't like a personal goal I'd set for myself. But I have a perfect shooting record. So
0: Hey, there you go. Shoot or shoot. That's what you got to do. Right. That's
1: Right. (laughs) All
0: right. Well, Erica, that's all I have for you. Um, so thanks so much for taking the time to come on the podcast. I really appreciate it. I think we had a lot of good discussions, whether it was just about, um, sort of the event planning that you've been a part of and all those big events in sports, um, sort of your role that you see yourself kind of as a female leader in sports, um, whether it's in sports or just in general in life, obviously you're doing a great job with that, but specifically to sports as well. And I'm and I'm sure you were glad a little bit to relive the glory days talking about Stonehill lacrosse as well.
1: Oh, I mean, it feels like so long ago. So I'm so glad you asked me about that, but it's been an honor. Ian, love what you're doing here with the podcast. So thank you so much for having me.
0: No problem. Thank you for coming on. Really appreciate it, Erica. Thanks.